The following presentation was recorded at the Newbury Buddhist Monastery, Victoria, Australia. Please visit our website at nbm.org.au. Good evening from Newbury Buddhist Monastery for another meditation uh, or Monday meditation that we do here together. Um, as we are live at the moment, so if you are listening or joining a bit further down the track, you're able to ask questions if you like uh, on the live chat and uh, we will try to answer those as well as we can uh, once the meditation is finished. So for people who are new to this, uh, the format is usually that we do a short introduction uh, mainly about meditation because we're going to be meditating afterwards together and then there is a meditation which is guided partially but there will also be quite long stretches of silence for you to just carry on with your meditation for about 45 minutes and then I'll ring the bell and we will see if there are any questions to be answered and then we try to answer them all. So last, uh, well, yesterday actually, <laughs> on Sunday, when I was giving the talk, we had so many questions and there were so there was quite a lot of material that I wanted to present as well. So it was quite a long talk. And the first question was actually a question that asked, you know, can, can you please tell us in short um, the path to Nibbana? But uh, I just thought about it for a minute and uh, well <laughs> or much shorter and gave uh, gave a quote from Ajahn Chah so I thought maybe I can spend a little bit more time on that question because uh, it is a good question and very often what happens is that people want to have like one answer or one thing you have to do or just three easy steps and you will be fully enlightened and <laughs> if it were that easy the Buddha would have told us so the Buddha was very kind and very compassionate so he gave us the shortest route and the shortest route is, is uh, the Eightfold Path and it has many many factors but if you want to break it down it's basically about Sila which is virtue about meditation that we're going to fo focus on today, uh, tonight, and about uh, panya, which is wisdom. So sila is being a virtuous person, and if we do that, if we behave, and if we think, and if we talk in, in a nice way, in a virtuous way, uh, then we feel good about ourselves, and uh, that will help us to calm our minds later down the track, in meditation and meditation is something which will be happening much much more naturally because if we have regrets or if we um, have done things wrong before they kind of follow us around and it's not that easy to put things down when we try to sit down and meditate so it is like the foundations that have to be laid first of all before we build a house so that's sila and then we have samadhi, that's the stillness of the mind that we will be cultivating um, tonight together. And then once you have put the walls up, then you can start putting the roof on the building. You can't put the roof just kind of on the ground. <laughs> so uh, it has a certain sequence there. And through that stillness, through the happiness that increases, through the clarity of the mind, 
um, it is possible to see things as they really are. And um, if we have the five hindrances operating, and that's the job of the meditation to remove those, then we can see it. If the five hindrances are still there, then we can't actually see what is there. Then we are seeing the world through a filter. Then we are seeing the world uh, in a distorted way. So we have to first be able to take those filters, take those glasses off, so to speak. And that's the purpose of meditation, to remove them. And then we have the wisdom, and that wisdom, very naturally, then we behave in the right way because we see the world in the right way. So we need a little bit of wisdom in the beginning. We need inspiration and we need motivation that we want to do these things. Then we start to practice um, the virtues and that will lead to that calmness and clarity to see the world in the right way. Okay, so I hope I could um, give a bit more meat on the bone for that question from yesterday and I hope uh, the person is joining us tonight or um, will be joining the meditation later down the track to um, hear an answer which is a bit more in depth. So for tonight I um, chose a little part of a sutta and uh, that comes from the Tera Gata, so that's the verses of the senior monks. There is one for the monks and there is one collection for the nuns, so this is from the monks and this one is attributed to um, Kondanya, that's the, uh, he was one of the five disciples of the Buddha who heard the first Dhamma talk, the Dhamma Chakka Pawatana Sutta and um, he got it, <laughs> he understood what this is all about and uh, this poem is about him and his attainment. So and I'm not going to read the whole thing but I thought the first three um, paragraphs there are quite nice. So if you want to find it um, in the live chat there should be a link for you uh, if you watch this or listen to this after that. So it's uh, number 15 uh, and it's the first one in the book of the uh, 16th. There's actually I think just one in that chapter anyway. So and it goes as follows. My confidence grew as I heard the teachings so full of flavor. Dispassion is what was taught, without any grasping at all. There are so many pretty things in this wide open land. They disturb one's thoughts, it seems to me, attractive, provoking lust. Just as rain clouds would settle the dust blown up by the wind, so thoughts settle down when seen with wisdom. Right, so it hopefully also reflects a little bit what I was talking about um, yesterday and just before. So we are developing confidence in the teachings and then that kind of contentment that I was talking about yesterday that I want to focus a little bit more during this session of meditation as well. And one of the kind of big obstacles for people in meditation often is the thinking process. And in this poem it's so nicely um, put there that it is like the rain, you have this dust that is blown up by the wind, but once the rain comes um, then it falls on the dust and it settles you down. 
so the thoughts settle down as well. And if we are meditating in the right way, the thoughts are going to settle as well. So we can't stop thinking, um, but we can encourage um, the thinking to go in the right way, or we can perceive it in the right way and not add anything to it. And then it will very naturally kind of run out and um, settle all by itself. So we are just watching, we are just witnessing without getting swept up by the thoughts that uh, are arising and without especially getting invested in them or trying to kind of interfere with them. So uh, I wanted to kind of give you two examples to understand this process a little bit more in terms of not meditation but in terms of what might have happened to you in day-to-day -day life as well. So after I finished um, teacher training college, I was uh, working as a teacher. Uh, at, uh, had a first grade uh, or had kids from the first grade. And I was sharing a flat with five other people <laughs> that also left the board, uh, left uh, teacher training college. Uh, but they were already teachers for quite a while. They um, were with me at that school because the whole kind of uh, program there was for five years so we met each other in that process and we <laughs> we were still quite young you know so the it was a three-bedroom house or a three-bedroom apartment and there was five of us living in it <laughs> and uh, but we all had our own room because one of the rooms was just really, really big. It was in an old house and the old houses usually have huge rooms and very high ceilings. So that was uh, very, very nice. And we also had like another room, which was kind of downstairs where we could have our washing machine. And we um, uh, kind of put in a little bit of work. So some uh, one person could um, stay in that room down there as well because we wouldn't do the washing down there. So um, we managed uh, the five of us to live in a three-bedroom house. But I was living in that big room that had a very, very thin um, wooden kind of uh, wall. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, plywood, I think it is, when you just mix uh, the wood chips together. And, um, you know, there is a wall, but you, you can hear pretty well. And... Uh, Next door, or in that same room, on the other side of that thin wall, um, was one of my friends. She was living there, and she had her boyfriend visiting at that time. And, you know, I was lying in my, my bed, and they were over, over on their side, and I, I just didn't want to really hear what they're saying to each other, because I felt, look, that's, that's not really my business. And it's the same thing with thinking. So you have these thoughts that come along, and you can develop a similar attitude to those thoughts. So what actually happened is that was quite interesting, you know. I mean, you can hear something in the background uh, at times. And if you pay attention to it, like if it's a voice or something, you can understand the meaning of that. But you can kind of switch. So say you're listening to a piece of music. If it's in English... Usually you would listen to the English, if you're an English speaker, and understand the meaning of the words. But if it's in another language, it just kind of becomes sound. It maybe sounds nice or whatever, but you, you don't extract the meaning out of it. And in laying in that bed, I remember uh, that experience quite clearly because I was able to 
tune out of the meaning of what was going on next door. So I would hear the sound, but I wouldn't um, assign any meaning to it so that I would kind of hear what's going on. And that happened to me a second time when I was uh, an exchange student in New Zealand and uh, I went over to New Zealand and, uh, and started staying with my um, uh, host family over there and switched to English in my brain. And there was another um, exchange student. She traveled with me at the same time from Switzerland as well. And she was one or two villages down the track um, close to me. And then one day she called me up on the phone. <laughs> so I picked up the phone and I, you know, answered it in English and all that. And she started to talk to me in Swiss German. <laughs> and, you know, Swiss German is, is not my first language, but my second language and the one I use the most. But I was so switched on to English that I, it, it didn't make sense to me what she was saying. So I was like <laughs> saying in English, excuse me, sorry, <laughs> what, what are you saying? <laughs> and it took me a little while to kind of realize she was talking in Swiss German. And then I kind of made that switch and then I understood. So try and see if you can do something similar with this, uh, the thinking process when it does arise. So it's there. It's like a sound which is there. You're not trying to get rid of the sound, but you're just kind of like phasing it out or and depersonalizing it. Or as Ajahn Brahm says, and as I mentioned before, having this mantra in your mind, none of my business. Not, you know, there's not the time to, to kind of get involved or get invested into it. Right. And if we do that, then our mind can kind of become like the lotus that they often talk about as well, which whatever you pour onto it, it just kind of drips off or like the, the duck's back, they say as well. So the water doesn't stay on it. It touches it, but it just rolls right off. And um, then basically it disappears. <laughs> it doesn't stick. And it's the same with space, there is like a simile in the sutta where the Buddha is saying it's like drawing into space or onto space. You can't really do that. You can draw into sand and it will stay there for a little while. But then once the elements come or because it's on a beach, the water will come and wash it away. If you draw into water, you will get a little bit of a kind of a line, but it disappears very, very quickly. And if you draw into the air, it doesn't even leave a mark. There is a movement, but it's just happening at the time, and then it disappears. So the only way to capture these kind of things is when you sometimes take those long exposure pictures, you know, and you have someone with a torch and they wave it around and write something in the air, and then you can actually see the word because you are uh, putting the exposure much, much longer. But if they just wave that torch at night time it will just you know draw a line and it's right gone so if we can have a attitude towards our thoughts that is very very similar right okay let's let's leave it at that we can do the other part that i had in mind another time 
And let's switch to meditation now. So please find a comfortable position to get your body in if you haven't done that already. Find a place, a space where you feel safe and at ease. And then once you put your body in a comfortable position, then you can close your eyes if that's okay. You can also have them slightly open, but if you are comfortable closing them all the way, it's a nice thing to do because that also kind of signals to our body that we're not trying to get out there into the world anymore. Receiving information. So with our eyes, we can close our eyes. We have eyelids. With our ears, we don't really have earlids. <laughs> and if you have the, the earbuds in your ear, so you will he hear me talking every now and then, unless you switch me off for the guided meditation. And we don't have any thought lids either. <laughs> so let's see if we can just let those things arise whenever they arise not taking them personally, not investing anything into it. And then they will just glide right past. But a good way to start is, is always spending a bit of time with our bodies. So let your attention fall back onto your body. Take a few deep breaths in the beginning. And see that you're fairly upright, but relaxed at the same time. What can be helpful is kind of straightening your back a little bit and pulling your chin in towards your chest when you're breathing in. And then when you breathe out, you can relax and let your body fall into a comfortable position. Same with your shoulders, when you're breathing in, you can pull them up slightly and backwards a little bit. 
And then when you breathe out, you can let them drop right back down and relax. And it's also often nice to relax your eyes. Relax all the muscles around your eyes. Even though we might be talking about watching or observing your body, you're not doing that with your eyes. You're actually much more feeling your body. Or just being your body. Let's relax our jaw as well. our neck and our shoulders. Our chest, very often we are a bit tight here. And see if you can Instead of thinking about your chest, actually feeling your chest. As it were, being in your chest. Instead of being up in your head. Just like take the elevator as it were and go down to your chest. and feel from there. Try on the idea of being your chest. And see if you can just be the space in which this thing we call chest is happening. The sensations in this area of the body that we call chest. See if you can be the spaciousness around it. So that all the feelings that are happening in the chest can relax into that space.
and then take this elevator down a bit further to your area of the belly that also often might have some cramps or be a bit uneasy or just kind of slightly uncomfortable unless you have tingling and pleasant feelings there which might be possible as well just feel what is there whatever that might be see if you can be your belly as if your belly was a being for itself how does it feel to be your belly? to see the world from its perspective to feel the world from its perspective And then let's see if we can play with the, with the perception of being the spaciousness around this thing which is called belly. See if you can feel that that spaciousness is just so vast and these sensations that are happening in this area of the belly are inside part of that spaciousness. Relaxing into spaciousness and ease. And very, very important in meditation, whenever you're able to just drop things, to unburden yourself, to relax and feel at ease, to really let that feeling settle and fill up your whole being. It might be quite subtle, but there is this feeling of renunciation when you let go. 
and of contentment when relaxation arises. And contentment is what settles business, what settles the body and what settles the mind. Contentment is like the rain in that poem that settles all the dust that has been blown up by the wind of the world out there. And you can expand your field of awareness a little bit now and see if you can include the whole body into that spaciousness, into that field. But not the thought of a body, but the feeling the sensations that come along with having a body, hopefully by now having a fairly relaxed body that is at ease. Getting more and more relaxed by the second. Just being your body. All these sensations that don't really have a shape. That are happening somewhere in this kind and spacious part that we are observing. That we are being with. That we are. And usually if we can settle our bodies in a nice way, we're at the same time also settling our thought process. Slowing it down. And as we are relaxing into the present moment, a 
and resting in the present moment. If thoughts do arise, let's don't, don't resist those thoughts. Just let them come, do their own thing, but don't get interested. Like I was describing before, it's like your friends talking next door. But you're not interested in the meaning. It's just sound. It's just thinking process happening. And if we don't resist, we don't add anything on top of what is happening so it can settle down slow down and eventually disappear, come and then go. And as we relax the mind, as we relax and settle the thinking process, there is also contentment arising there. A very subtle contentment, but a very rich one. Let's see if we can appreciate the full flavor of it. And that way, allow ourselves to go deeper and deeper into stillness and peace. Into energy and joy. If feelings in your body are still arising, 
or if thoughts carry on arising, absolutely no problem. The important part is what we do when they arise, how we relate to them, what attitude we have towards them, what the relationship is like. And just re-relax if that happens. Carry on resting in reality as it presents itself. And allow your body and mind to settle again. And become peaceful and still. When your body and mind fades into the background because you don't invest into them, the only thing that remains moving is your breath going in and going out. Don't generate thinking about your breath, though. Just feel your breath. Feel the sensations. Feel the movement. Feel that breath is happening. Maybe it's even like a disembodied breath. That's perfect. Just be your breath. Be the vast kindness and spaciousness in which breath is happening. And let yourself be carried by the breath. 
carried by the stillness. joy and by the peace. So I'll let you carry on with your meditation now in silence.
And as we are slowly approaching the end of this meditation, check in again with your mind and with your body. Maybe just drop in the question How does it feel? How does my mind feel? And how does my body feel? Is there any difference? from when I started meditating? What did I do? Or what did I let go of? What did I renounce? Could I get a taste of contentment? Of stillness? and of peace, even if just temporarily. And how did I treat my body and my mind? What was my relationship? As I will be ringing the bell three times, please take your time to come back to your body, to connect again with the world around you. was that <laughs> and please do remember that if a meditation is peaceful wonderful 
but we don't get attached to that piece either. If the meditation is not wonderful, we don't get to that we don't get attached to that as well. So the practice is really relating in the right way to whatever arises. Positive feelings, negative feelings, and learning from that experience. Meditation is our training ground, but also our resting place. Okay, do we have any questions? Yes, Pante, we have received one question so mm. far. Mm-hmm. And the question is, I feel that you can be in the present moment only with body sensation. Because with other senses like seeing, hearing, smelling and thinking, you can't identify that without using your past memory. Could you please explain? Okay. So... Would you like me to repeat it? Um, no, I'm, I'm just thinking about it. So the person is saying that it's easier to be in the present moment with the body. And I do agree yeah. with that because it might be easier to have a feeling, have a sensation of what is happening in your body, and that is something which is closer to the present moment. But even with the other senses, it is possible to develop present moment awareness, but the thinking process or the conceptualizing uh, can get involved in the process much, much more easily. But even with the body, <laughs> I mean, we had many, many discussions during the retreats when um, I was guiding a meditation and I was just saying, you know, feel your feet. And then we have an interview later down the track and the person says, but I don't feel my feet. I'm thinking about my feet. <laughs> I'm thinking about where they are in space. And, and, and you know, even there, it takes a switch from, as I was trying to kind of guide in this meditation, from looking down at your feet from kind of the seat of your consciousness that you think. And um, Sharon Salzberg was actually um, describing that for some people to feel their feet, they actually have to look down at their feet first, and then they can kind of get a connection to the actual feeling, to the actual sensation. But even listening is a type of sensation as well. And listening is actually, if it's removed from conceptualizing is only sound and sound is always just happening in the present moment so if there is a bang and you perceive it you hear it that is happening in the present moment but once you start conceptualizing and going like wow that was a door that was banged why are people banging doors? We are in a retreat setting today. There shouldn't be banging doors. Who was it? Was the person angry? I, you know, have memories as a, as a child when the door was slammed at home or whatever. And all that stuff comes up. But the actual feeling itself, the actual sound, is something which can help you to get into the present moment. So we are 
often using the singing bowls as something to bring children, for example, into the present moment. So we tell them to listen to the sound which is happening in the moment and then follow the sound, the vibration of the sound, into stillness which comes afterwards. And with the singing bowl, it is very, very nice, is also there is a sustained sound. There is a sound which is, I guess, for most people, fairly pleasant. And it's something that can carry you, that can um, allow you to settle your mind. As we are settling the mind onto the body, and then through the body into relaxation and peace, we can also settle it into the sound. I don't know if you want to just try that <laughs> to see if you can just hear the sound without thinking about what it is and what pitch it is and if it's getting louder or more um, quiet or whatever just to be with the sound or to as I was trying to kind of nudge you into just being sound you can do the same thing there just just try try to kind of get a feeling for what it might mean to be sound, feel sound, instead of thinking about sound. All right, here we go. And the same, I guess, would apply to the other senses. I mean, I don't want to go through all of them, but um, I guess one of the hardest one is also um, sight and the eyes, because we are very kind of visual people. But even there, we are actually just perceiving shapes and colors and light and darkness. And then what we do is with sanya, with perception, and with sankara, with this kind of building up, we make it into something solid. We make it into an object. We start to relate to it as it's that object out there, and I'm here, and there is this kind of distance between us. But it's actually just a shape. And it's happening in our consciousness, like in that spaciousness that I was trying to describe. It's arising in that spaciousness, the same way like a sound, like a sensation, like our breath, like whatever it is, is just arising and passing away. Okay, well, I hope. <laughs> Some food for thought there, and there's another one. Yes, there's another question. Should our focus on the breath switch when we experience strong feelings of pity or should we just ignore and let go of those feelings and stay focused on the mm -hmm. breath? Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, can you read the beginning again? Should we... Should our focus on the breath switch okay, when good. we experience right. strong so feelings? So should our focus switch? So... The idea, the whole idea of meditation is about letting go, of unburdening ourselves, of simplifying things, and 
that's what we are trying to kind of help along with that process. And if we do that very carefully and very nicely with, with the body and then also with our mental world, then once we come and invite our breath, so it's again, it's not a going and grabbing and focusing and trying to kind of <laughs> really go for it, it kind of naturally arises. And the same way when we are watching the breath or when we are being the breath, when breath is happening at that time and we have done the preparation in the right way, we've taken the right steps, then it will naturally evolve into kind of those feelings and those feelings will start to arise and will start to become stronger and stronger. And then the focus is something we are not really doing anymore. The focus is happening all by itself because we are kind of being pulled in to those kind of states. It's a little bit like a magnetic pull that we can't, can't really resist at a certain point. So I would just encourage you to stay with the process uh, as, as, as well as you can. And there will come a point where this joy and happiness and the piti and the sukha will become so strong that it very naturally will draw in the mind, if you want to describe it in this kind of way. And it's a natural um, progression there. The problem is if we try to shut it off or not kind of pay any attention to it or if we try to focus onto it then we're actually destroying this beautiful um, um, process. So if it usually when it happens naturally we would be staying with the breath for quite a considerable length of time and settling on that breath and having the breath as a physical feeling at the beginning and then switching from a physical feeling to a more mental or emotional feeling. So we are not, for example, feeling the in-breath and the out-breath um, as something distinct anymore. We are just feeling that breath is happening and we are starting to kind of um, enter this world of, of Vedana, which is the, the, the feeling world, um, from the world of rupa which we were in before which is this kind of corporal which is the the body which is the world which is much more kind of solid and we're moving from more solid to more subtle and it's something that um, should be happening quite um, quite naturally so please don't uh, be excited or afraid at that time just relax and let yourself settle into uh, whatever the object is that is arising naturally at that time. And yet let yourself be carried deeper and deeper. Mm -hmm. Next question. Mm -hmm. I think I hope I get this right. Uh -huh. um, I would like to ask if I need to be aware of my stillness in present, while not thinking of myself sitting there. Please advise. Mm -hmm. 
Does wow, that make sense? Of that's a bit of a a bit yeah. of a bit of a poem in itself. <laughs> uh, hmm. Don't know. Say, say again. <laughs> I would like to ask if I need to be aware of my stillness mm -hmm. presence while mm -hmm. not thinking of myself sitting there, <laughs> sitting in meditation. Yes. Yes. Okay. Right. So again, stillness is something which which arises and which you get more and more used to, and you kind of start to realize what kind of flavor it has, what stillness actually means. And as I was describing before, we have certain kind of more coarser manifestations that will be there at the beginning of the meditation. And that is our body. And it's very important that we are taking care of that body. And we have a certain perception at the beginning that this body is who we are. <laughs> but you might um, have kind of noticed that the way I was trying to guide the meditation to kind of remove us from this idea more and more. But you are talking about thinking. <laughs> and thinking is something that becomes less and less and less and less and less in meditation. So when we are letting go of the body and when we are letting go of the thoughts and the emotions, we are also letting go of the concept of a self uh, at the same time. But... Um, yeah, please, please try not to conceptualize these things too much. Try to bring it to the feeling world, to the sensation world, and to the world of how happiness, relaxation, and stillness actually feels much more than what it is or how we would describe it. I'm just trying to give you tools or ideas and ways how the mind could get an inkling what it might mean but we are aiming for something much much deeper we are just trying to um, prime the mind a little bit um, with these kind of exercises or try to give it a bit of a of a taste what it might mean but the feeling itself what it actually means is so much more deeper and so much more profound than any words can really describe. Is eating only before midday a monastic practice that assists with spiritual development? Mm -hmm. And what did Buddha say about this practice? Right. Yes, so it is part of the eight precepts. So that would be also for people who come and stay with us in the monastery. And uh, it's for people who become... Uh, Anagarikas, that's postulants, before they ordain and uh, take uh, 10 precepts and then uh, more precepts for the monks and the nuns later down the track. But lay people are encouraged, uh, and the Buddha said that it is good if we can keep those eight precepts every now and, now and then, instead of just keeping the five precepts. And the additional precepts which come on top of those five precepts are basically precepts about renunciation. So we are learning to, to let go of things. We are learning to simplify our lives. We are um, learning to be um, content, basically, with less and less things. So we are not depriving ourselves of these things. So it's a process where we have to be careful and really also listen to our bodies and minds because when we are out there working as lay people, it might not be the right thing 
to, to do these practices. So usually they are practiced on a special practice day or when you come to the monastery and listen to Dhamma at the same time and you offer a meal, for example, and then you eat that meal and you decide, I want to practice a bit more restraint, I want to practice uh, a bit more renunciation and see how that feels like for that day, for those 24 hours, and then you would also not be eating um, uh, during that day. So we are unburdening ourselves in meditation, but also with practicing those precepts, and especially with practicing those precepts of giving up things, letting go things, renouncing things. And it physically makes yourself feel lighter. So you are more awake, you are more alert if you don't eat too much. Even for um, lay people out there who don't um, keep the eight precepts, it is advised not to eat too much in the evening because um, when you have eaten a lot and especially if you eat, uh, eat um, kind of heavy foods, you will notice that um, it's much harder to go asleep. There might be much more activity in the in the body and in your mind. And usually around, they say, what it is, what is it? I think about two o'clock. In terms of your body clock, your internal organs, especially your um, bowel, is is working very very hard at that time. Um, and so the more um, work you give it by putting in a lot of food, and especially food which needs a lot of processing. Um, that will also kind of affect your sleep. And then when you wake up the next morning, you will be much lighter and much clearer. And for the monastics, the practice is that we don't eat before the sun goes up, before we have uh, uh, dawn, it's called. So you have another period of time when you wake up early in the morning and you are basically, we call it in German, sober. <laughs> So you don't have any substances in your system that kind of weigh you down or that might, you know, becloud your mind or just make it kind of slow and, and, and uh, groggy or dizzy or whatever um, the, the feelings are to describe that. Yeah. So in German, we say someone is... Um, Oh, <laughs> there we go. See, because I'm thinking in English, I can't even think of the German word now. Um, but basically, when you have to go for a blood test, they told, tell you, you have to come sober. <laughs> and it doesn't mean you're not drinking alcohol. It means you shouldn't be eating food um, or, or having um, and too many drinks um, before you go and, and do that blood test. Um, what is it called again? Can someone Google it? <laughs> sober, it's a German sober. Nüchtern, nüchtern, that's it. I ah, got it, yeah. So nüchtern is the word. And the, the word is also used in terms of um, not having any um, alcohol or, or, or drugs in your system. Okay, good. Long-winded answer. Is there certain kind of food that may affect our body for meditation? Ha, ha, ha. Yes, there would be. But uh, because but, uh, because there is different bodies, um, you have to ask your own body. You have to try things out. You know, there is people who have certain intolerances. There's people who have certain allergies. There are people, you know. So um, I wouldn't want to, you know, give you any 
Dr. Bodhi um, recommendations for what you should be eating or not eating. So, of course, you know, the, the heavier the food is, the, the, the more time it takes to be processed. And, uh, of course, if there is, you know, very, very sugary foods or something like that, um, they will give you a sugar spike, but they will kind of wear off fairly quickly. So see what foods you experience and can uh, find out there that give you sustenance uh, instead of just giving you a kind of temporary high or a, kind of giving you a certain feeling of comfort. There's a couple of foods that are kind of called comfort foods. So it's it's really just to make sure this body is happy and surviving for another day. And the Buddha basically usually says when we talk about food and as monastics when we reflect on food, to um, finish old feelings of hunger or discomfort. That's why we are eating. But not to start any new feelings in terms of having greed or lust or wanting um, to eat something. So it's basically appeasing your system, um, giving it what it needs, but uh, maybe not always what it wants. I hope that gives you a bit of a guideline. <laughs> Next question. Okay, wow, well, there's I more. Tend to, sorry, sure. I tend to carry the troubles I have during the day mm. into my sitting. Mm. How can I let go? and have a more peaceful and longer seat. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that is very normal, uh, that we take our minds from our day-to-day -day life into our meditation. I think I've described that about maybe two meditation classes ago or meditation uh, sessions ago. So we don't have a meditation mind and a day-to-day -day life mind. It's the same mind. <laughs> so whatever happens in life, we carry into our meditation. Whatever happens in our meditation, we carry into our lives. But uh, we can find skillful ways to um, deal with it. So if there's been a lot of, lot of stuff going on, what might be very helpful is to do a bit of walking meditation uh, because there is a bit more kind of movement and uh, the body is involved a little bit more. And it's something which can actually very, very nicely help you to settle your mind. Also, if you're sitting and you're very restless or you're kind of tired, um, walking meditation can be very, very useful. I mean, walking meditation in itself can be a very good practice. So, you know, you you might get more peaceful walking than sitting. So, again, it depends on the person. But for myself, walking meditation is something that works quite well. And then the other thing is don't rush it. <laughs> don't have a certain goal. Don't have a certain expectation where you want to get and how long you want to want to get uh, be sitting there and if it doesn't work and you know you're really kind of going crazy i have to sit for half an hour i decided to sit for half an hour now i'm gonna sit for half an hour come what may you know if not just get up and do walking meditation or do meditation sitting in a in a you know in a comfortable position if there is pain and discomfort or a lot of irritation or you know friction happening in your mind but if you work with your body um, you can often calm a lot of these kind of things down. So I sometimes also tell people, try to feel your thoughts. So you're bringing your thoughts into your meditation. How do you feel your thoughts? Try to feel what is happening in your body as a reaction to those thoughts 
Or, if it's not a reaction, how do these thoughts feel? How do these emotions feel in your body? Where are they located? Um, is there tension? Uh, is there disease? Is there um, friction or whatever it might be? And then if you work with those things on a physical level, it becomes a bit more tangible and you can actually relax it in your body and by relaxing it in your body you can relax it or pre-relax it in your uh, in your mind and then once you get into your mental world it's kind of easier to deal with it and if you had a really hard day and you sit down and your body feels fairly awful just carry on doing body sweeps um, for the whole set of the meditation so we don't have a certain goal we have to reach in our meditation. If your body needs the attention, if those thoughts and emotions need the intention, please give it to them, but uh, don't let yourself kind of be carried away by them. <laughs> so you're just spending... Again, it's the same thing like with the food, you know? Give them what they need, but not what they want. <laughs> don't go into it too far and don't indulge in it, basically. Okay. Hope, hope that makes sense. And uh, yeah, try that. See if it works. Thank you, Bante. I think that was the last question. Good. Uh, Better finish off one. before <laughs> someone else. No, of course, it's wonderful you're asking questions. But um, we have this service that is offered to you free of charge, kindly by all the monastics um, staying here uh, at Newbury. And uh, it's happening on Sunday. We have a Sunday Dhamma talk at 9 o'clock in the morning, Melbourne time. And there is the opportunity when you um, join live to ask a question. And same thing again with those uh, meditation sessions we have on Monday night at 7.30 Melbourne time in the evening. You have an opportunity to ask more questions if there are any left. Well, I guess there will always be some questions left. <laughs> Unless we, we're all enlightened, then there will be no more questions. And uh, we'll all be just very peaceful and happy. And uh, um, yes, we will just all disappear into Nibbana and uh, that's going to be it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> enough for tonight. Bye bye, take care and good night.